Everybody's going to probably leave the mind of what could be a better place. If everybody took a break, then we all just get wasted. Oh, good afternoon. You're listening to Cannabis Corner on WNHHLP 103.5 FM. Broadcasting live from downtown New Haven. We are streaming live on TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org. We're also streaming live video on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com slash New Haven Independent or go to your Facebook page and look us up and hit see first. You can also hear all the great programs we have here on WNHH. Uh, and Cannabis Corner is also streaming on Greenhaven Media and ProCannabisMedia.com. So it is Monday, the March 27th, 2023. We have crossed over into spring, supposedly. I am your host, Joe Lachance, and I am joined by my illustrious co-host, Mr. Lou Vega, Hemp Farmer Lou, how are you today? How's it going today, good brother? Uh, it's a good day. It's, you know, a little chilly. It's, it's, it's like 58 degrees out. Spring is starting to be here, you know, a little chilly in the morning. Nice day in the afternoon. Can't be too mad. Uh, got the windows open in the hallways here at the office, letting, letting in some fresh air in. And, you know, it's those signs of spring here in New England. So it's pretty cool. Just fresh off of um, Expo Can. How was that? Mohegan Sun. that was a lot of fun. The panels are really awesome. It's nice to see the market, you know, starting to enter into its like, I want to say teenage year kind of thing. You know what I mean? That feeling the market's not mature yet, but it's maturing. So it's nice to see that it's a maturing market. Right. Um, it's not just the straight grassroots anymore. So the event was nice. There was a uh, pretty good um people there showcasing their wares and their brands and it's also nice because there's some crossover uh booths there which are pretty cool you know you get the uh the specialty candy booths the specialty snack booths uh the regular plant people so there was like the little plant bus was there so you could actually buy house plants and oh, it's nice. just nice to see all the cross sectors that that are starting to embrace cannabis consumers as part of their market you know, nice. so now there's people, you know, there's certain markets that advertise towards alcohol drinkers, but now there's markets that are going to start, you know, highlighting cannabis users. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have actually coming on the show next month. We have a gentleman who makes wine with CBD yeah. coming on the exactly. show. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, exactly. And I think we'll see a lot more of that even at the NECAN conference. Yeah, that is coming up on May 20th. And I think I can announce that our keynote speaker is going to be Jason Ortiz. Oh, very nice. That's yes. Awesome. yes. Congratulations we, to Jason Ortiz. We, ex yeah. we, we uh, put out the invitation to him today and he accepted. So uh, I That's can officially awesome. announce that. So Jason Ortiz is going to be our keynote. And as you know, he won the cannabis activist of the year at the Nikon in Boston. 100%. So. Other than that, he's uh, the executive director of SSDP, one of the founders of Minority Cannabis Business Association and longtime advocate for cannabis in the state. So, and policymaker as well. Let's make sure yeah. to throw that out there. I'm very excited that that's happening. Um, I yeah, look forward yeah. to that event. I really Let's look forward to it. Let's be real. 
if there's anybody in the Connecticut cannabis industry who deserves it, it's Jason. I mean, he oh, yeah. is the all-star. Having worked with him, I know, you know, I know what he he did and I know what he's he's I'm very he's excited. Top-notch. He's I a will, top-notch activist. I will definitely be there in the audience once 100% supporting that. So I'm yeah. super Well, excited you're probably going to be on a panel too. I hate to tell you, but <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's me here in Connecticut and that's where yeah, the Connecticut space is starting to mature that, you know, their conventions yeah. are happening and I'm excited for that. And I, I hope, I really do hope there was, there's like licorice people, a beef jerky person and regular plant people. If Nikan started incorporating some of that stuff, I think it would actually go a long way because other consumers need to, other businesses want to vend to the cannabis consumer as well. You know what I mean? I think some of those people would actually do pretty well. If they're in a convention and they're the only one, you know what I mean? The, that cross, it's like when a CBD vendor goes to a plant show or you know, a he, farmer's market. Yeah. They're the only one. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's pretty yeah, cool. No. So I know the plant people were super excited to be there because they were the only plant people. You know what I mean? Well, I'll they have to give them a plant. call and yeah. <laughs> see if they want to come to Nikan. So yeah, the little, the little anybody who box. is interested, as you know, I am uh, helping out with that event this year. Anybody yeah. who is interested can contact me through social media or right through uh, the Facebook page of this show. But uh, anyway, real quick, yeah. before I bring on our guest, I saw an interesting article today about how much money the legacy growers, not legacy, the uh, not legacy growers, I guess you'd say the medical growers spent on lobbying last year did you see this article that came out today in ct insider lou did you see the article yeah uh yeah you want to talk about money being spent oh baby that is right yeah Yeah, and um this is see that's the thing we knew this and we've just been screaming it from the from the from the rooftops. You know what I mean? Right, right. And it looks like Theraplant spent uh, between 2019 and 2020 three hundred thirty-seven thousand dollars on lobbyists, and then between twenty-one and twenty-one and twenty-two, they spent three hundred twenty thousand dollars on um, lobbyists, and then acreage. 210,000, uh, true leave, 158,000. So, and even MPP, which actually is a cannabis advocate organization, spent, um, spent a lot of money as well. So, um, this is why people don't understand, you know, even though we did have people like Jason in there writing the uh, legislation, there were certain things that were put in there at the behest of the current medical providers because they have more lobbying money than anything else. And there were a lot of things that were taken out because of a lot of that lobbying money. We're, you're yes. looking at over a half a million dollars on those years that were fought against the things that were there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's ridiculous. And one thing Jason brought up is that probably that $3 million fee that the social equity people had or that the um, medical marijuana growers had to pay to to uh, bring in social equity partners 
was just their way of capturing the market, just their way of getting in on the equity market. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good points to be made there. And it just goes to show, and like you say, this is something we've been shouting from the rooftops for years, is that, um, you know, the lobbyists are really the ones who have the major influence on the bills. So, anyway. Um, all right, I'm going to bring on our guest, Anne-Marie, and um, Anne-Marie is the owner of Higher Health. Higher Health is a woman-owned, equity-owned business in the state of Connecticut. Uh, we know that what you're going through, and we are here to help as we've been in your shoes, as Higher Health is also a patient-run organization. Anne-Marie is a twin and grew up as a tomboy in an Italian family and loves to cook Italian food, of course. She grew up in a home raised by strong Italian women and in high school started her career as a pharmacy technician. In later years, Anne-Marie made the switch to the beauty industry, made women feel empowered and fulfilled. It got to a point there that things became jaded and unfulfilled within Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie then invested in herself and took a leap. She enrolled in cannabis classes offered in Connecticut and then began testifying and advocating on behalf of Connecticut medical patients to receive access to cannabis. Anne-Marie soon learned that she was showing up, big pharma and lobbyists, uh, big pharma and lobbyists providing uh, access to patients were showing up as well. Then we just talked about that. It took two rounds of pushing forward and advocating, but Anne-Marie was able to make a difference. It does not end there as there is much more work to be done. Very, very true. Anne-Marie, how are you today? Hold up, Joe. Anne-Marie is also a full owner. How are you guys doing? Hey, how's it going? I was just also sharing to add on there that you're also a full owner of a dispensary, if I'm not wrong, in Massachusetts. Just wanted to make sure to throw that out there as well. So she's very accomplished in the space currently. Thank yes, you. And, and, yes. And Anne-Marie, how are you today? And she also I'm mentioned where she got started, Lou. And where she started learning about cannabis. And uh, I got to say, it was with us. Yep, so, Anne-Marie, yeah. yeah. Uh, Anne-Marie, yeah. we're very proud of you. And we thank you for continuing and following through with, uh, you know, the classes that you took and actually making a career out of it. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, I ran into Lou this weekend. Um, I also had the honor of speaking on a panel with Brian. Brian Essenter was one of my right. mentors. Um, ran into a bunch of all the OGs this weekend. So it was a really great event in that sense that um, got to see everybody that I got my start with and was honored enough to be on a panel this weekend. Um, so very humbling. And it was really great to see everybody. Very good. Very, very good. And I hope you didn't run out into the casino now and do any gambling. I did not. Very I good. Did not. <laughs> <laughs> I saved my money. I know Lou didn't. <laughs> No, I don't do gambling like that. <laughs> no way, the casino is not getting me, buddy. I no, think cannabis don't. people aren't real big gamblers. You know what I mean? No. I just, I don't either. I, I don't either. I, I can go to a casino and spend, you know, take $100 and throw it in slots. And that's about as far as I'll go. No, but, we've been gambling uh, right along. <laughs> we're right. I think yeah, that's exactly. it. We're gambling yeah, exactly. all the time. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You are absolutely right. We're all we've been gambling since the beginning. And, yep. uh, you know, some people say we win. Some people say it's, uh, you know, it's it's half and half. 
But either way, tell us a little bit about Higher Health, what you guys do over there. And of course, now that Lou mentioned it, tell us a little bit about this dispensary you've been working on. Okay, so it's been a long road. Um, I started out with you guys, um, then started out with another company. Our visions were a little bit different. And then I decided to um, change the model a little bit. Um, I realized that this was all during COVID too, as you guys know. Um, we started out not in COVID and then um, slowly went into COVID. So telehealth has been a beautiful thing, as we all know, but it's also, I found that it was also a very scary thing, um, which also led me into what's going on now. So, um, you know, patients just, there's a stigma attached to it. There'll always be a stigma attached to this. And as hard as we try to break that, it's just like anything, fear of police, fear of alcohol, fear of prescriptions. So that's a whole ball of wax that we all need to separate and um, break that stigma. Also being a female in this business, a lot of people say, oh, it's harder for a female. I tend to disagree with that. I think as females, we have a leg up because we have that compassion, um, not that men don't, but I think sometimes we're easier to approach. And um, because of my background in uh, pharmacy, but also I was raised in a family of nurses. I was raised in a nursing home when I was little. So I have that compassion for the um, aging clientele. I'm very used to being with um, an elderly population and that's pretty much my business, elderly and mental health. So I realized during COVID when patients couldn't come in that I was on the phone a lot um, mm -hmm. dealing with them and talking with them. So they really needed I, somebody yeah. to reach out to. Um, and you can also agree with that too, Joe. No, I can vouch for that. Me. I did the same thing, right? So um, I realized they needed a little more support. Uh, cannabis cannot work on its own without having support if you need mental health help. So I reached out to providers in my area, and this is where my business model is completely different. Um, if you need that extra support, I'm going to set you up with someone who can help you. Right. I used so, to do the same thing. <clears throat> Yep. So we, um, I work with these providers that either take, they all take Husky. They take, um, if that's not your um, coverage, then you can um, either work with them on a sliding scale or some do take insurance. So instead of having to wait for a provider, if you are in a situation where it's that severe, I can get you in quickly. Um, so I do that. I also, um, we had a situation with, uh, I'm not going to lie, we, those of us who are in the smaller craft um, business or ancillary business where we have been getting kicked in the face by corporate, we had an incident where our physical location um, was hit by corporate. We were forced to move. Um, my mm -hmm. business partner and I, so we ended up pairing up and going into the same physical location because we just couldn't afford um, to move in such a timely fashion. We had three weeks to move. So we merged our physical locations where he's a hemp farmer, just like Lou was. I know Lou had to change his model a little bit because of what he's doing now, which congratulations, Lou. So um, we paired up together because there's also in the medical side, if we don't implement CBD and the other cannabinoids into the medical program, it's not going to work well. Mm. Most patients don't just use THC, especially for serious debilitating conditions. Mm. And this is where I feel there really needs to be improvement in the medical program. Don't just ship them in, ship them out. 
So right, um, like the cookie cutter one. I mean, unfortunately, I see a lot of that down here in Puerto Rico, where it's cookie cutter. You can get it online. You don't even have to talk to anybody. And I think that, and you mentioned the telemedicine, and I noticed it when I had my medical business too. The telemedicine took that part away a little bit, whereas yeah. they used to come in the office and ask me questions. I would sit down with them and after they filled out the paperwork and talk to them a little bit, especially if they were like a PTSD person or something. And, and I think the telemedicine kind of took that away and made it so that it opened it up for, you know, because that's the way it used to be. When you had to go into the office, most people provided you sort of a service where you could talk to them. And even, you know, can care docs, even the ones that were big, you could go in and talk to somebody before you got your card. It was a little right. more like an actual, you had to talk to the doctor face to face or right. the APRN. And I think with the telemedicine, it's made it and given it the ability to be more cookie cutter and a lot less personal. And I Absolutely. think what you're bringing is you're still trying to keep that, that, you know, that, uh, that spirit of helping the patients, guiding them through the process. And, and that's what you're trying to continue and maintain over at higher health, which might make your service a little bit um, more comprehensive than what they're giving at the cookie cutter ones. I really do try that. And I do have an office. So if people do need help with paperwork, it's not strict. I mean, we are all telemedicine when it comes to the actual evaluation with your, with the provider. However, if you're struggling with the paperwork, you're not quite sure if it's for you or not. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm, this has never been a money-making business for me. No. And right now, it's very difficult because everyone is open. When I walked through that expo this weekend and saw how many medical providers were there, I was shocked. And I'm like, well, I hope that this isn't their only ways or means of putting food on their table because it's not going to happen. Good luck right. to them and fabulous if we're trying to get more people into the medical program because that's the way it should be. However, um, the fact is, is that the way I do things and how higher health does it is that we need to have that interaction with the patient. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is also why I am so, was so honored to be involved in training law enforcement as well, because of the safety issue. Um, we get a lot of backlash about this being so dangerous and this not being a safe oh, substance for people, yes. but, and I actually stayed very quiet about being on this training. Um, because people said to me, oh, Emory, you're a sellout, you're working with the cops. Well, who better than to work with law enforcement than someone who knows about it? Right. Because law enforcement was actually very eager to learn. Um, and they should be properly trained than somebody coming from, not to bash anybody from corporate, but if it's somebody coming from another state that doesn't know our regulations and only knows cookie cutter, why not somebody who's in the industry and is going to give them the real raw truth about what is out there? Mm -hmm. um, this right. isn't, this is a concern. There's no doubt about it. But if we make them understand at the proper level, then we're going to have much better interaction with law enforcement. We're going to have a better rapport with them. Um, well, weren't you telling me that they never even had seen concentrates. You were showing them things that they never even knew existed. You were showing no. them products that they might run into 
Correct. That they never even knew existed, right? And they Correct. were, and, and they were, and at the end, they were very thankful to you, right? They and were appreciative. They were. Um, I, again, being a patient advocate, small business aside, profitability aside, um, my whole, in my heart, my biggest priority is my patients. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I made it very, um, my priority was, okay, if you pull over a patient, um, well, first of all, you want to talk about the, the study a little bit? Sure. I'll talk right, about so, anything. <laughs> just to make it clear, because I want people to know that this is this will affect them and some of the laws as far as if they ever are pulled over at a traffic stop. So first of all, we don't burn and drive. I know all of us think that, hey, we can smoke a joint and drive. I was one of those people. But once I saw this, it really changed my aspect on things. Do I think it's 100% accurate? I don't know, but that's the whole game is that we don't have something to back up proof. Because exactly when you think about, hey, you get pulled over for a DUI, you have a breathalyzer that's gonna back up the result of the blood test or vice versa. So, and that's for, the, that's, not, that's for the person getting arrested's benefit too, to prove Correct. that they were drunk. Because back in my day, there were no breathalyzers and you could get, you know, they didn't have anything to check the level. They, they had stupid tests where you would walk the straight line or touch your fingers to your nose, you know, or follow the pen in front of the face. And I don't mm -hmm. know how many times I got pulled over and I was drunk as hell, but I passed that test because I knew what the test was. So it's exactly. almost like, okay, they're okay. Practice. You know what I mean? <laughs> you knew exactly. exactly what they were going to do, but the exactly. breathalyzer at least makes it so um, it's accurate, you know, it's accurate. So we. And so there's nothing like that for cannabis yet. No. So actually, at this uh, study, um, this was back in February. Uh, we had 18 subjects. We did allow three companies to bring in their apparatuses. One was a breathalyzer, one was a mouth swab, and one was an Oculus. However, mm -hmm. because none of these are proven, um, none of them can be used. But we did allow right. them to come in, use their devices. All fascinating. I would have to say the Oculus. In my opinion, again, my opinion does means nothing. Um, it was probably the most accurate. Fascinating. Is, now, are you really talking the Oculus, like the, the, put it over the your head. metaverse thing? <laughs> and you exactly. put it over your head. And what do you do in the metaverse? There. It measures your eye movement. <laughs> oh, so they have like a thing that goes across and you have to like follow it. That's what the pen was, you know, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean. Could you imagine being on the side of the road with one of these things? I don't know, but <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm so they're sure. not really, they don't. And you know, the thing with cannabis is obviously it's such a unique medicine that, you know, we all know it stays in your body for longer periods of time than alcohol or cocaine or any of those things. So it's very difficult to tell if somebody is impaired because of cannabis on a chemical uh, level, because obviously we also know about tolerance. So mm -hmm. somebody who's just starting out smoking cannabis and smokes a joint is going to be probably more impaired than say you, me, or Lou who smoke right. a joint and go out there because we do it more often. And I wouldn't, I would, I don't want to say we're used to it, but we are used to operating on that level do you know what right. i'm trying to say 
Uh, whereas some people may not be, you know, some people may not be used to operating on that level, especially a motor vehicle. And with it being legal now, you are going to get more newbies. You are mm-hmm. going to get more people who haven't tried it in 20, had it in 20, 30 years because they had kids or whatever. And now that it's legal, they're going to go out and try it. And believe me, after taking a long break and you smoke again, don't expect you to be able to handle it like you used to be able to handle it because it will take, it'll knock you for a loop. And I can, I can attest to that. So, (laughs) you know, you got to be careful about all those things. So I do agree there needs to be some, you know, measure of safety. And the question is really don't rush it. You know what I mean? Let's get this right if we're going to do it. Um, right. And so I appreciate the fact that you're going in and talking to the police and you're right. What better than somebody who knows cannabis? Who are they going to, who are they going to have, you know, somebody who's anti-cannabis, you know, like uh, D'Souza, you know, somebody like that come in and talk to them, you know, it's better to have somebody who's actually an advocate. So kudos to you for working with the police and not being afraid to do it. <laughs> no. And, and honestly, I did have my own, um, you know, apprehensions. Again, you guys know I'm a gun violence victim. Being in a room full of cops with firearms was really hindering me even the couple of days before. But I said, you know what? I just have to buckle down and do this. This isn't about me. This is about my patients. If my patients get pulled over, I'm advocating for them. And with that being said, I did bring products from um, that can be purchased at a dispensary. I let them know, hey, if you pull over someone with, um, you know, this product, this is bubble hash. This could look like black tar heroin. Don't treat my patients like, right. um, you know, second-class citizen. And this they serve can the, be the oil syringe. and the syringes, right? I showed they them the syringe. That's heroin or something. These guys aren't, exactly. you know. Yep. And I also said, listen, you know, you have to understand some, a lot of my patients have MS. They have rheumatoid arthritis. So if you pull them out of a vehicle and you ask them to walk a line, it may be difficult for them. Compassion right. goes a long way. I have PTSD victims. I have been pulled over and I was lucky enough to have law enforcement that heard me when I said, your firearm is freaking me out and I can't breathe. And he was respectful of me. That's not going to happen across the board for everyone. No, that's not going to happen in all cases. Exactly right. So um, they listened intently. They were respectful. Um, they were a great group. At first they were a little apprehensive. They probably looked at me a little weird. I walked in with a large metal suitcase full of cannabis and a five ounce jar of cannabis, um, because I wanted them to see if you pull over someone with five ounces, this is what five ounces looks like. By the end of the day, they were opening it up. They were touching it. They were smelling it. Um, I did go to all kinds of smoke shops and picked up all the synthetics because they did want me to talk about synthetics and the difference, um, did explain that they can be an antagonist and this is gonna affect your CB1 and CB2 a little bit differently. It can be more powerful. So I do understand the apprehension of law enforcement because if you do get a 16 year old that goes to a gas station, tries- Delta A or whatever, right? Yeah, or THCO for the first time, swerving on the road, Um, You don't want that to be your child that gets hit. So we can have negativity around our, what we believe is medicine. So we do have to be respectful of others. 
Um, so with that being said, we first had the subjects come in. Um, again, so, uh, we had 18. Some consumed cannabis straight off the bat alone. Some consumed cannabis and alcohol, some straight up alcohol. They all failed. Every Everyone. one of them. Everyone. All three tests. Everyone. Mm. Which was very eye-opening to me because I provided most of, or a large portion of the subjects. And these were, again, to use that term, OGs. Yeah. yeah. I could not consume because I was teaching, but I also drove my own vehicle there. Everyone was Ubered or had a, a service, pick them up and drop them off at home because obviously we could not let anyone drive. So it was fascinating to everybody had a handler, which was law enforcement with them at all times. Um, so it was kind of odd to see one of your friends toking up next to a DRE all day long. Um, now, um, did you would, did you have a set specific amount that they like? Did you have them smoke two joints and then take yes. three drinks, the same amount of each substance? Yes. So the first run um, in the beginning was um, what would be equivalent to a half a joint. The first morning, um, they ate, they drank, and then the the people who were consuming alcohol, it would have been, uh, don't quote me on this because I was more interested in cannabis, of course. Um, it was equivalent to, I believe, like two drinks. But for alcohol, this was this is not going to be surprising to any of us. Um, we only got them up to a 0.34, I believe, and they were not able to pass that sobriety. But I do believe it's just like we say with cannabis, your setting, your setting makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that when we're drinking, right, I'm not a big drinker, but when you're drinking, you look around the room and you're like, oh yeah, I'm more sober than that person. I could probably drive, right? So in that setting, I think because there was less people drinking, um, it was a more sober atmosphere and you're the only person drinking and mentally you're like, yeah, I can't believe how screwed up I am. So I think maybe also it's very intimidating. You're in a mm -hmm. room full of law yeah. enforcement. Oh my God, I really can't keep my heel up. A well, lot I of that really could have been nervousness. Yeah, it could have been nervousness on their so. point because it is, it is a controlled situation. It's a test situation. A little bit different than an actual real life situation, you know? Yes. So whereas um, in real life, you might give yourself a half hour before mm -hmm. you drove or an hour yep. these yep. did they put them right in after they smoked it was all day um so they did give everything a little bit of time and they're also you know there were all dres there the rest were some municipalities too so there was also a lot of training going on with the officers as well um, but just to make things clear this year with all connecticut has one of the highest accident rates highest wrong way driving, highest pedestrian fatalities, 158 substances were identified in accident victims' bodies. So we're wow. talking about cannabis and alcohol. So the rest, and this is where, you know, we first started having the conversation about telehealth. So this is where I feel that telehealth can be um, very dangerous. And this has nothing to do with cannabis, um, nothing to do with alcohol, although it does, this tells me that there's a lot of over-prescribing going on. 
Yeah, from other jobs, from real, from quote unquote medical doctors. Right. So you're talking opioids, antidepressants. Who else knows, you know, that will show up that now are these impairing substances that they're finding in the body? It was just delivered to me as substances. So Mm. let's, let's think about this science, right? You mix something. Yeah, that's true. You can have any type of reaction. And all of our bodies are different, right? People don't even realize that cannabis and CBD does interact with certain medications and they need to check that out. They need to be informed of that. They need to be asked those questions before they start taking cannabis. And again, that's something that might be missed. I know it is on the application question, right? but um, you know, some people don't always know. Some people don't always answer honestly because they want the card, you know, it's often better off to have a little more, uh, a little more contact with the patient and make sure mm-hmm. that cannabis is even the right thing for them. Right. You and know? that's the only reason we would not qualify a patient is because of drug interaction or mm-hmm. too many um, antidepressants, uh, benzos or pain um, painkillers or something on their chart. That's the only reason we would ever yeah. not qualify. Because yeah, we're trying to help people get off that stuff. That's part of the point of, you know, using cannabis for PTSD is to try and have it be not, I want to say substitute an alternative to, uh, to the prescription drugs, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, honestly, it probably works better, uh, uh, along with psychological counseling. Mm -hmm. This is what people don't understand. This is what I used to try and tell the patients that, um, you know, along with getting cannabis, if you really have severe PTSD, you should be seeing somebody at the same time, just as the same way if you were seeing your psychologist and they prescribed uh, antidepressants to you, you should continue to see your psychologist. And I used to actually have some counselors and psychologists recommend that their patients get on cannabis. I used to get referrals quite often from certain providers, uh, you know, get recommending a patient to me. So mm-hmm. I do, uh, I do see the value in that. One thing I wanted to ask you is now that the adult use market is, you know, starting to be up and running, what do you, has it had any effect on the medical marijuana program? I mean, what absolutely. Are, absolutely. <laughs> what are the things, what are the things you're seeing? Um, well, you know, there's, let's face it, there's a ton of benefits of still being a patient, but I think right now, some of the negativity is overriding that we still have to be positive about it. However, the program has, um, really pushed patients away. And what, how, how I'll explain that is, um, they, of course, DCP makes a lot of promises that they can't keep. And unfortunately in the state of Connecticut, we imposed a social equity council, which we 100% needed to do, no Mm -hmm. doubt about it. But at the same time, we needed to um, implement a cannabis control committee or someone who's going to advocate for patients. You can't have one without the other. I agree. We talked about Um, this on a previous show, how DCP should not be the agency handling this. It should have its own agency like they Absolutely. do in Massachusetts. And I agree with you on the social equity committee. Although as far as I'm concerned, they haven't really 
been effective and what, at least me, I thought their role would be, which would be kind of as a watchdog, mm -hmm. making sure that people didn't take advantage of the system, making sure that the proper people that were giving licenses were actually social equity applicants and come to find out, you know, realistically, they sub, they subcontracted all that out and 100%. didn't really do, do any much and a lot of vetting. And now you see the, they had to get a new chairman, you know what I mean? Yep. So the old chairman actually was out. So maybe we'll see some changes with this new person in. And, and I know a couple board members, a couple members left too, that they had to replace. So it goes to show, you know, that even these people knew that maybe they were in above over their heads or maybe they, you know, were, were called out on their lack of diligence with what they were supposed to be doing. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. The DCP should not be the governing body. Uh, and I see that they just put in a new head who was approved by one body of legislator. I don't know if it was approved by the other yet, but it was approved by the committee to mm -hmm. go in and this man is a prosecutor right right a former right. prosecutor former out of the walk yeah and mm -hmm. he uh i doubt he has a ton of experience in cannabis other than prosecuting people for it right so are we going to see an era of more regulation less patient interaction um i don't really know but it it to me it seems uh, you know, like that might not exactly be the right person to be in that position. Uh, I, I agree with that. Well, first off, what really has, again, I am for the medical side. I have no problem with it being recreational because everybody should have access. But when they said that the patients were still going to have those benefits that they were promised and these have not been followed through with, um, that leads me to believe you know, this has all been smoke and mirrors, no pun intended, right? So July 22nd was the last public hearing that we had for the medical um, that we were trying to push a condition through. And then February 3rd, that wasn't the last one, that was the previous. And then February 3rd, we had one for vulval lynchin sclerosis. Not to say that that's not a, a a debilitating condition, but how many more patients is that going to get into the program? Not many. Not many. So to me, that's some backhanded kind of BS to just pacify those of us who are really still pushing for the program. My number one problem about those things or these hearings is that they are not open to public comment. We can only view them. So again, advocates aren't being heard. Um, clinicians aren't being heard, doctors aren't being heard. This is just the DCP saying, okay, here's your little carrot, here's a couple of conditions and we're just gonna push you off. So we went from July of 22 all the way to February with not adding any conditions and none of us can even talk about it. Right. My other, you know, that's not yeah. right. They used to but, let us go, they used to let us come to them. Right. Back and we used now to be able to doing. testify right there. We used to go, be able to go into the room. So how is this program going to be fruitful for patients, fruitful for the community? And if they want to talk about safety, let's talk about safety. You have Candelaria, you have or Candelaria, Cheeseman, all of these people, no gummies, no this, no that, that, safety, safety, safety. 
but yet you want to open it up to a recreational market where anyone can walk in the door and not get any medical advice anymore. Right. Right. How is that safe? I agree with you. It seems just from my viewpoint and my viewpoint is, you know, a little bit distant um, that now that the adult use program is in either the DCP is overwhelmed, uh, but the medical program seems to be taking a back seat. Always taking much. a back seat. Yeah. Always. Well, when it was the only game in town, it didn't, but now yes, it's taking a back seat because it seems like the, the cultivators and and probably even some of the dispensaries are more focused the adult use market than they are on their medical patients. Is that absolutely, absolutely? But my whole problem is a couple of things. The patients were provided a certain amount of product that they would be able to purchase, that there wouldn't be a shortage, it would be pushed aside for them, held aside. Okay, fine. But don't take something that was $28 an eighth. And now charge, you know, 48, 49, because this is their medicine. How would you like it if your Lexapro went from $20 to $50? Oh, did they raise now, the prices of they medical? They absolutely did. They absolutely did. Oh. They're trying to level it off. But, you know, also these big four, some of them did not expand because they know that other growers are going to come in. And why would they, if they know other growers are going to come in? Well, I know but three out of the four did, but three out of the four did. did not. Right. But there's reasons for that, you know, which has been documented. They're not actually doing very well financially, Theraplant. So we right. may see another owner in there very soon. We'll have mm -hmm. to see. But, but it's yeah, on the back of the so, yeah, so they're still providing for the medical, but they are not providing for the adult use as far as I know, because part of the requirement to provide for the adult use was that you expand your canopy. It was. <clears throat> so they are not. So you really only have three providers providing for the adult use market, not mm -hmm. four. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's very interesting times in Connecticut. You know, very, very much. And I, and I really hope that the medical program survives because I know we fought very hard to keep that thing going, to get certain conditions in we there, did. including PTSD and including the chronic pain, which I mm -hmm. think brought in a lot more patients. It did. You know, so, and I've seen it happen in other states as well. And you know, Connecticut was always touting how great their medical program is. They always thought they had the best medical program in the in the country, you know, and to see it deteriorate into this is is kind of disheartening. But yet, when you look at what happened in other states, it's almost to be expected. I hate to say it because they're going to go where the money is. They're not making any tax money off medical anymore. And as of July, they're not going to even be making their $100 big there. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? What incentive is there to put a lot of time and effort into the medical program? Or do they just let it run on autopilot until, it, you know, it finally just gets uh, sucked into the adult use program like it happened in Vegas and a couple other places, you know? It does. But, you know, Mass has has both. And they're able yep. to play along. There's medical, mm -hmm. there's hybrid, and there's recreational facilities. So they're able to still do that. And everybody 
can, you know, have, everybody can flourish. But I really feel that for those that need that advice, we still need to keep that program. Um, but I also, I was a little heartbroken at this last session where we have, I'm, I'm not going to get this number right, but I believe we have around 800 providers in the state. And like I told you, I saw all these other card clinics popping up, which is great that we do want to encourage more patients into the program. But what I was really upset about seeing is that only myself and I believe Aaron Doolittle were the only providers that testified and stood up for our patients this session. And that's pretty appalling that there's that many people that are willing to take money from patients to certify them, but they're not there to stand up for them. Mm. It takes a lot of time, Joe, you know this, to be an advocate, to sit there, sift through these bills and 30 of them this session that all on some way, shape or form affect you as a patient. Yeah. If your provider is not going to take the time to at least write a letter, you don't have to sit there and wait for your number to be called. And the worst part is, is it's all Zoom now. We used to sit at the Capitol and not eat or drink all day long. Right, 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 right. So to sit on a Zoom (laughs) or write a letter, that takes only a couple of minutes. So my advice is to anyone who's looking to get a card, you don't have to go to me, but you can go to anyone. Just make sure that your provider is looking out for your best interest, not just taking your money walking you through the steps, make sure that they talk to you about safety. And even myself, I show up every Sunday with my partner to teach people how to home grow. I don't want to hear your complaints about mold or if your eighth was a little too light from your grower. Hey, we also stood up for you to give you the option of home grow. Right. Let's we push charge that. you 20 bucks on a Sunday to come and learn how to home grow. Right. So, so let's push that. I mean, let's push if- that. Because look, honestly, a lot of people probably don't or have tried growing or or don't have a lot of confidence in their ability to grow cannabis that is in equal or better quality than what they can get at the dispensary. Now, that's mm-hmm. a low standard. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think, you know, anybody with a little bit of training, right, it does obviously cannabis is not like growing tomatoes. It's not like growing herbs in your garden. You do even have, with that, Joe. Even yeah. with that, Joe, everybody should take a take a crack at growing. Right, it's that was going to be my yeah. Take a crack at growing. Right, it's one of There's, the right. Not everybody wants to right. grow, but every, not everybody wants to be the home home brewer. But you might take a crack at it once or twice. So I think everybody yep. should take a take a crack at growing. Right, and, and there's. It's not hard. Honestly, no. Joe, if I, you there's a I few tips and tricks up. you have to learn, right? You have to learn certain things about lighting, about soil, about how to prevent uh, spider mites and mold Mm -hmm. infesting your house, you know, I mean, infesting your crop, because even on an indoor grow, those things can come into play. I mean, obviously, with an outdoor grow, you have a whole liturgy of of problems that can arise because you're outdoors. So deers, you know, anything can come in there and pretty much, you know, affect your crop. But indoors, there are still some, you know, ways that your crop can get tainted, you know, yeah. uh, and, and you need to prevent against those things like building your room with drywall, you know, making sure you use the right lighting and, and how high it is up. But like you said, that that information is out there. 
It it's is. being provided by not only you, but a lot of other people are doing these small home grow classes mm -hmm. to let people know how to grow at home. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, so it's not something that where the information is not available. No. Uh, yeah. And so until I, these crowd guys get up and going, if you don't like how these four or three or four are operating and it's, let's face it, it's not great. So your home grow can't be any worse. It's that's what I'm saying. The Do standard it. is low, so low. <laughs> you know, you should be able to grow something that's at least as decent as long as you put a good cure on it, you know, whatever. Um, but again, you need to learn these things, but it doesn't take a long time to learn. And, and I, mm -hmm. I agree with Lou and I agree with you. I encourage anybody, especially now in July, not only medical patients will be able to grow, but anybody will be able to grow after that, as long as you're over 21 years of age and yeah. whatever other requirements they got. So I think that, you know, that is key. Uh, and that's one way until the new people open, yeah. you know, I, I'm hoping, you know, and obviously this takes time as Lou can attest to that when the new, some of the newer people get open that them a lot of them being people advocates or people who have been in the industry before not corporate minded people will be much more quality oriented and and mm -hmm. looking out for the needs of the consumer and what's best for them not just what's best for the bottom line which let's face it that's the corporate line oh look at this you're getting calls all over the place but we're about three minutes out anyway and tell us a little bit about your dispensary real quick uh that you're opening up and uh and then we can go over how people can get in touch with you and at higher health or however awesome so i'm mm -hmm. super excited i'm very lucky to have partnered with four other individuals who also have been in the cannabis space too um mike goodenough is my partner Gokul Shaw, Andrew Wilkinson, and Jay Soares. They all have a background in cannabis. Um, I'm the only female, which is pretty awesome. I have, you know, four brothers in the whole partnership. Now you're right back in the whole family. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I'm really proud because I did the interior design and it was, it's a house that we renovated. We're right on the corner of Route 20 and Route 8. Um, which is in Beckett, Mass. So literally anybody coming through that area has to stop right in front of the property. So we are focused on using craft products. We want to keep it small um, and also education-based. And as you know, with a dispensary, you really can't give out any information or advice, but we want to give as much information as the CCC allows us to. So it's more of an experience when people come into the property. So um, we plan on giving out as much information as we can, uh, making people feel as comfortable as possible. Um, power, peace, um, and is our um, an education is our kind of our tagline. Um, and I'm super excited. We have our provisional license. We asked for our final inspection today, so we should be on schedule. And as you guys know, being in the industry. It's always a hurry up and wait type of thing, mm -hmm. um, but um, it's the name of it is Himalayan High, mm -hmm. and um, we are super excited to get the ball rolling. And, and that's in Massachusetts, here. right? It's in Beckett, Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah. So I'll so it's not too far from here. the border, right? No, we're actually very lucky because we'll have Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. We're right on that corner. 
Oh, good. So okay, we're the first good. one. We're first dispensary right up Route 8. Okay, perfect. So good. So that's a Massachusetts dispensary. Tell us a little bit about how people can find out about more about that and as well, Higher Health, how people can get in touch with you there. So Himalayan High is, um, I hope I have it. It's uh, HimalayanHighLLC.com. That's the website. It should be fully up and going next week. And then Higher Health is www.HigherHealthLife.com. Um, I also, you can find me on all the social media as well. Um, but like I said, I walk you through the steps of the process for your card. And then at Himalayan, we're education focused as well and making your experience as comfortable as possible. Um, but also I just branched out to doing more education for law enforcement. I'll be doing that um, also for the universities. And then uh, my partner, Mike and I, are also doing more education for universities. Mike is doing tissue culturing um, and education with UConn, Eastern, and SUNY. Great. And I believe Mike will also be doing a panel at NECON in Connecticut with mm -hmm. university professors. So that ought to be a very educational and very good panel up there. And I do believe you are on a panel as well. So I will see all of you at NECAN in May. But Amory, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, any last words you want to say to the uh, people? No, I well, I just appreciate you guys. I love being in the community. I truly believe this community really needs to work together as a whole and as a group. I appreciate you for uh, giving me my start, Joe, and it's always a pleasure to see you. And thank you, Lou. All right. Appreciate you guys coming out here today. Uh, yeah, like Lou is on. Stay happy, healthy, and high. All right. Thank you, Lou. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, you can follow us at Greenhaven Media, at Cannabis Corner Radio. Uh, and you can follow me, at Joe the Weed Guy, on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you all next week. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Lou. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. But then I got high. Uh, my room is still messed up. And I know why. Why, man? Yeah, because I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. I was gonna go to class before I got high. Come on, y'all. Check it out. I could have cheated and I could have passed. But I got high. I'm taking it next semester. And I know why. Why, man?